This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey everybody, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 101. 101, introduction to The Walking Dead. <laughs> Walking Dead intro 101. That's right. For Monday, January the 14th, 2012. 13. 13. Dude. Oh, <laughs> I knew I would do that. I wrote down 2012 in the notes. That's why I couldn't get it right. Yeah, well. 2013, and as we just discovered, it's been 10 years since the movie Elf came out. 10 years. Now, that probably came out in December of 2003. Yeah. So we're not quite 10 years, but still 10 calendar years. It has. It's been a long time. We were just talking about how great that movie is. A classic. A classic. Well, today's also a great day for some other things. First of all, it's National Dress Up Your Pet Day. Well, so you go, don't have pets. I have pets. No, go home and put sombreros on your cats and stuff like that. Oh, I have a sombrero. <laughs> I had one. A cat-sized sombrero or a human-sized sombrero? No, I had a human-sized sombrero. I think I had two of them. Wonder whatever happened to my sombreros. That's unfortunate. If you've lost How those, how do you lose a sombrero? That's, that's what I want to know. That is tough. Somebody steals it. That's what happened. <laughs> uh, why did you own sombreros? Uh, well, it was a bit that uh, Scott and I did as clowns. It was uh, it was a hat thing. A hat, a sombrero bit. I had a tricorner hat and a jester's hat, and Wait, you had a, a hilarious hat collection, and they're all gone now. Well, I probably I still have the jester's hat somewhere. <laughs> When you were a clown, did you wear a big funny rainbow wig? No, no, I just had a multicolored cap. Oh, like a Marty McFly Back to the Future 2 cap. I'm trying to remember that cap. Come on, it was it was like neon. I just watched and, that. That's a New Year's Day tradition for us to watch that trilogy. Lenticular. It, 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 it changed color as you sort of walked around it. Yeah, I don't recall the cap. What? Had, you recall the self-tying shoes, right? Oh, that, yeah. And the jacket that dried itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, But not the cap, eh? Yeah, not the cap. And oh, I remember the cap now. Sort of like that, but uh, more clowny. <clears throat> you can buy those caps, too, now. Well, no doubt. You can get the shoes, too. Oh, that well, limited edition, I heard. Not yeah. everyone can get the shoes. Anyhow. Dress up, you can get uh, some of those shoes for your dog, maybe. You, you probably could. Little booties for your dog. That's really good <laughs> for the salt, anyway. Yeah. If they're, if your dog is in, lives in a cold climate along with you, mm-hmm. uh, you can put booties on your dog so that the salt doesn't bother their little tootsies. Yes, that is true. Um, there are places that it doesn't really snow very often, and but when it does snow occasionally, they don't know what to do, and they don't have salt there. Right. So, like, the ground becomes unnavigatable. Unnavigable. Unnavigable. Right. Like a, like a river that you can't get through. That's right, because it's just too slippery. We have salt here, and it destroys everything. Yeah. Uh, a little bit more relevant to me, though, today is also National Organize Your Home Day. Why is it relevant to you? Because I live in a junk heap most of the time. Well, how come I don't need to organize my home? Well, I you, really do. Well, maybe you do, but you have um, only two people living in your house. I got four. That's true. Of course, you do have two cats, but they only count as a half a person together. Well, no, actually, depends. Depends? If uh, if you're talking about vacuuming. Oh, the, it the counts rule, as more. The rule, <laughs> the rule of thumb is you should vacuum your house. Uh, our rule of thumb is you should vacuum your house once per week per person. Include your pets. Uh, they count as people. Y- that's true. Because, well, they drop a lot more hair and fur than people. Oh, do. I get to follow <laughs> them around with a vacuum cleaner. Well, once per person per week seems like a little bit much. Most people don't vacuum your house four times a week. If oh, you God, we four. don't do that. That's our rule of thumb that we break all the time. Right, okay. 
<laughs> well, Organize Your Home Day is today, and I just always feel like I have stuff everywhere and toys everywhere. Like I got stuff. I got kids. I got things all over the place. Yeah. And that's so I feel like the need to organize is always there. Well, you should. But the day is almost over, and I haven't done a shred of organizing today, so. Well, put something in its place right now. Uh, no, maybe later I'll put that cup away. <laughs> you can, uh, yeah, you're hooped. I totally am, totally am. See, look, we got home from Europe like two weeks ago. Passports are still out on the table. Sweet. <laughs> Tell the internet. Yeah, why not? <laughs> okay, so I hope everyone has a good time celebrating those days today. Go dress up your cat and then organize his room or something like that. That'd be sweet. Okay, we got lots of Walking Dead news, so let's get right into it. The Walking Dead News. I, I, I should say, actually, too, I hope everyone had a great holiday. We yeah. haven't done a podcast in a month. It's been a while. The last one was, I don't know, the 17th, I think, of, of December when we did our big live show. That's right. Which, by the way, went great. It was a lot of fun. I love doing it. So yeah. we'll have to do that again. And thanks for everyone who tuned in and called in. It was a really, really fun uh, episode. If you happen to miss it for some reason, go to our website, TalkingDeadPodcast.com. It's number 100. It's hard to miss. You can listen to it live. You can listen to it <laughs> well, not live, live, to, live to tape. Live. Well, this is live to tape. And if, it, you're, if you're hiding under the stairs right now, it's live. That's Otherwise, true. it's just us. That is true. Uh, okay, but we are doing the Walking Dead news. Now, there's really one, one huge, huge story that happened yep. over the holidays, and it broke only a few days after we recorded number 100, so we have not had a chance to address it here on the podcast yet. Nope. And that is... What is it? That The Walking Dead was renewed officially for season four. Hooray! <laughs> that's only half the announcement, That's though, the good as, news, bad news portion. As most people know. Portion. Yeah, that's the good news. The bad news is, at the same time, AMC announced that Glenn Mazzara, showrunner, who took over for Frank Darabont after season one, is also now leaving the show. <sighs> yeah, this came as a huge shock. Uh, for a variety of reasons. One, the show generally, and almost everyone I think agrees with this, has improved greatly since he took over. I agree with that. I do too. <laughs> Most people seem to seem to think that. Right. And everyone was like, all right, we got, a, we got a good dude in there. He's doing really great work. The show is amazing. It was pretty good in season one, but then season two, you know, took a little downturn, he's, but he's turned it around and he's made a, a fantastic thing. Yep. A lot of people say he saved this program. You think it's saved? You think it would go that far as saved? Many people say that. I've, I've, I've encountered people that said, I stopped watching it uh, in the beginning of season two. But I heard that it it had a turnaround, came back, and now I love it. Right. So I think he saved the show. Okay. You and, agree with this? Uh, no, I don't necessarily agree with it because I don't think it ever got that bad. But I can see the casual fan may not have come back if, you know, they hadn't heard that there was a massive turnaround in, in the way the show was done. Right. So suffice it to say, some people believe he saved this show. Anyways, now he's gone again. Um, I'm going to break down the timeline of events here since it's been about a month almost since we, we've heard this news. All right, let's break it down. December 21st, news broke about season four and Glenn Mazzara leaving. AMC and Mr. Mazzara released a, a joint statement, and they said, AMC jointly announces with Glenn Mazzara today that for future seasons, the two parties have mutually decided to part ways. Glenn guided the series creatively for seasons two and three. AMC is grateful for his hard work. We are both proud of our shared success. 
They go on. <clears throat> Both parties acknowledge that there is a difference of opinion about the way the show should go moving forward and conclude that it is best to part ways. The decision is amicable, and Glenn will remain on for post-production on season 3B as showrunner and executive producer. Holy friggin' legalese. It sounds like a lawyer wrote that. Well, a lawyer did write that, I'm I sure. I know, but it doesn't seem very heartfelt. It's like, both parties acknowledged. Like, come on. We're sad to see him go. He did some great work, and uh, he's nice enough to stick around and do the post-production on the rest of the series because he, he made a commitment, and he's, uh, you know, he's, he wants to, uh, you know... Live up to that commitment, and we appreciate that. Right. Uh, That's they, the kind of thing you can say. It's not both parties acknowledge that uh, the difference of opinion, blah, blah, blah. It just it seems so cold. Well, it, it kind of is, but there's no actual information in here, right? It's just he's leaving. Um, hooray about season four, but he's gone, and, uh, you know, it's just a difference of opinion. That doesn't really mean anything. Like, Yeah, it's lawyer's. They want to, you know, say a bunch of stuff without actually committing to anything. The other thing was the timing of this announcement. December 21st was a Friday. It's the last Friday before Christmas. Winter solstice. So, yeah, that's right. The end of the world day. Right. <laughs> In more ways than one. Oh, no, it's the end of the world. That's Yeah, see, the Mayans <laughs> predicted the end of the world. They just meant the, the end of... The near end of The Walking Dead. Right. <laughs> or the guy who was making the Mayan calendar got bored and went in for a drink. Yeah, or that. Screw it. Finish this later. Yeah, that's right. I'm done. <laughs> and then he got too drunk and lost his mind. That was it. Or his calendar. Um, got bored, worked on something else. Glenn Mazzara put out his own statement. He said, my time as showrunner on The Walking Dead has been an amazing experience. But after I finish season three, it's time to move on. See, human being writing a statement. I have told the stories I wanted to tell and connected with our fans on a level that I never imagined. It doesn't get much better than that. Thank you to everyone who has been part of this journey. It does sound more human, but it also sounds like even bigger BS to me. Well, yeah. I have told the stories I wanted to tell and connected with our fans on a level that I never imagined. Like, that's great and all, but no. If you were, you know, really, really into this, getting paid maybe what you want to get paid, you wouldn't be leaving so abruptly, I think. Wow. I don't know. Or there has to have been some sort of serious difference of opinion. Which we'll get to in a minute. Yeah. Finally, Robert Kirkman put out a statement. Um, I'm in full support of both AMC and Glenn Mazzara in the decision they have come to and believe the parties came to this decision in the best interest of the future of the show. So Kirkman here is a little le- uh, a little less human, I think, <laughs> in my opinion. I thank Glenn for his hard work and appreciate his many contri- contributions to The Walking Dead and look forward to working with him as we complete post-production on Season 3. Um, I'm also excited to begin work on another spectacular season of the show that I know means so much to so many people. So that's what he had to say. Yeah. Again, really no information, just saying, yep, it's happening. Thanks very much. It's going to be, it's still going to be great. But what else is he going to say? Right I now? don't know. Just the, uh, you know, the parting of ways formula <laughs> of press statements just seems kind of sad. Somebody say something. Well, yeah, they, I, I don't really know why they want to keep everything so close to the chest, you know? Yeah. Like, I guess I guess they just want everyone to come out smelling like roses, even though that's probably not sort of what happened. Well, you release a statement, and if it, you know, it's libel and slander if if it doesn't say absolutely nothing. I guess so. If they they take offense to it, it's, you know, back to the lawyers, let's go to court. There's a lot of money on, uh, you know, at stake here. 
Uh, that's true, I suppose. And the the uh, people are just afraid of getting sued. Well, here's where it gets exciting. So, uh, Sons of Anarchy. You like right. that show. Yes. I have never seen it, but I've heard it's fantastic. Should. A um, couple of uh, s- side note here. A whole bunch of new interns were introduced at my office today. They were introduced? Yeah. What happens? We get every quarter, we get a team of interns. And... Um, they get sort of brought around the office and introduced, and this time we, we have a weekly meeting with the whole company, and, right. and they all get up and stand up and introduce themselves and so on. Do it's, a little dance. Do a little dance, you know, right. where, where they're studying, what their interests are, stuff like that. Right. Um, and for some reason this time, <laughs> our HR guy, who's a bit of a clown, well, he's a total clown, he, he asked everyone to choose a celebrity crush. Right. And at least two of the girls chose some character from uh, Sons of Anarchy. Jax? Yes, I think. Jax, well, what's his last name? Um, I don't know. Okay, well, they chose Jax. him, and I was like... He's the main character. I'm like, I have no idea what that means. Blonde guy. Yeah. <laughs> muscly biker dude. <laughs> muscly biker dude appealing to the ladies. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, that's uh, just a bit of an aside there. Um, most most of the other girls chose Ryan Gosling, including one of the dudes. Right. So... Nice. It was fun. Anyways, Kurt Sutter, the, the showrunner for Sons of Anarchy... Which airs on FX, right? Yes. So unrelated to AMC, he put out this statement, and I'm going to read the whole thing because it's awesome. He okay, says, wait, 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 wait. Okay, do you want to read it? No, I don't want to read it. All right. I just want to know, uh, does uh, does Kurt have a, a dog in this hunt? Like, why is he releasing a statement? Uh, he, he essentially is coming to Glenn Mazzara's defense. So he's just some dude releasing a statement saying, I'm a showrunner, he's a showrunner. Uh, we got to stick together. I'm going to... I'm gonna, you know, I'm going to release my opinion. He doesn't have any more inside information than we do. That's well, he may because he's in the industry, and we're just a couple of schmoes in front of microphones on the internet, right? But uh, this happened. This he released this the day it happened, so he probably didn't have much more information. Maybe just what he heard from, you know, exclusive showrunner message boards or something. I'm like just trying that. to establish his authority to actually release a statement. Like I could release a statement, like write up a press release. And send it to the media and, you know, say all kinds of stuff. And his, they're not going to run it. I can tell you that right his, now. <laughs> his authority is um, exclusively uh, intimate knowledge of the industry as a showrunner. Okay. He said, AMC is run by small-minded, bottom-line thinkers who have no appreciation or gratitude for the effort of its creative personnel. Time and time again, we see events like what happened today with Glenn Mazzara. They continue to disrespect writers, shit on their audience, and bury their network. Mazzara took the work in progress that was Walking Dead and turned it into a viable TV show with a future. Without him, that future is dim. Showrunners are not development executives. We're not cookie-cutter douchebags that you plug into a pre-existing model. The Walking Dead will suffer. Even zombies need consistency. Mad Men and Breaking Bad will be gone soon. So will AMC. Huh. And then he finishes with some vulgarity that I don't really need to repeat. <laughs> um, so he has an opinion. He has an opinion. Sean Ryan, the last resort showrunner, the same day came out and said, with FX, Showtime, HBO, Stars, Cinemax, A&E, TNT, and others to sell to, it's a real question now why good showrunners should sell to AMC. He also said, common knowledge that AMC cut Breaking Bad shorter than it should have been. Now you have creative dis- differences with uh, your biggest hits savior. So uh, two other showrunners, prominent guys, came out and said these things in support of Glenn Mazzara. Huh. Well, less in support of Glenn Mazzara, but more against AMC. Right. So um, 
that's fun. I, I don't know, like you said, I don't know where these guys sort of get off making these statements other than just kind of stirring the pot a little bit. Right. Um, but they did. Well, they have an opinion, that's for sure. Uh, they sure did. Uh, on December 24th... Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. It was a Monday. Uh, yes, it was. It was after the weekend. It was the Monday after the weekend of that this all went down. Yeah. Um, I think... I wrote down Kurt Sutter here, but I think... Uh, oh, no, it is Kurt Sutter. Yeah, the uh, Sons of Anarchy guy. He he tweeted another one that said, AMC sent me a gift basket filled with sour tastes, forbidden fruit, broken promises, and the marinated tongue used to lick Kirkman's ass. Nice. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, no. And <laughs> and again, I, I think he's borderline stepping over a line here. Well, do you think that somebody con- contacted him with a cease and desist and, uh, you know, you released a statement that you shouldn't have? Uh, you're very bad. Don't do that again. Possibly. But why direct his, you know, his follow-up comment at Robert Kirkman when he was clearly tearing down AMC in the original comment? I do not know. Interesting there. So well, Kirkman-, Kirkman comes with an audience, right? Like he's got... Mm, he's the name recognition. He's the least. name recognition. He's got the... He owns the property. That is true. And it's a big property. <clears throat> well, Kirkman responded now, finally, later on, later that day on the 24th. Yeah. These guys, I guess, have nothing better to do on Christmas Eve. Uh, he said, Sutter is brilliant, and Sons is my favorite show on TV. Still, it's upsetting to see him ranting about things he knows nothing about. And later he tweeted, except that marinated tongue thing. That thing is awesome. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, his typical, um, typical sense of humor there, I would say. Yep. Um, just continuing on the timeline here. So January 2nd, after the new year, um, Wednesday, thank you. Kurt Sutter does a video blog. It's called WTF Sutter. What does WTF stand for, Christopher? What the flying fridge. What the fridge. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) What the fridge. Um, so he, he he puts out a 20-minute video blog on this topic, and I watched most of it, and he, he, he goes on and on about... Is this, is this, uh, is this just a, a kind of a rant video blog? He just goes on and rants about stuff? Well, or, I think, what's this, But what's the topic of this uh, WTF Sutter? I, I think it is a little bit of a rant. I think he talks about his show most of the time, though. Right. Um, so, but, but yeah, I think it's just him expressing himself on various topics. This is the only episode of it I ever watched. Right. Now, he talks a lot about just the the role and the job of showrunners and what they do and so on and so on and so on. But eventually he does get around to um, to the Walking Dead controversy or controversy, as they say on CBC TV sometimes. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, he said, the process of showrunning and vision is not something everyone can do. You have to have somebody who understands the process of making a television show week after week. Robert, Robert Kirkman, is an amazing visual artist and graphic artist, but he knows very little about TV. Hmm. Again, getting a little bit personal. Um, He goes on to say, the show has tremendous followings. It has legs. They're going to plug somebody else, some poor soul in there. My sense is they won't even hire a showrunner. They'll throw a shitload of executives at it and elevate a poor staff sap on the writing staff and that poor sap will ultimately be just expediting the notes and the vision of non-creative people or at least non-creative tv people that'll work for a minute in season four when all this when 
uh, this will all happen. The numbers will be big and people will show up. But will it continue to do well? No. My sense is that without somebody like a Glenn Mazzara running the show, eventually it will lose focus and the narratives will run out of steam and it won't be able to build off itself and it will suffer. That's a very uh, negative and uh, cynical view. Uh, it, it really is. Um, he may not be wrong. I, I, I don't totally disagree with him. I mean, if you're exchanging showrunners every season, yep. you're bound to lose a certain amount of consistency and sort of flow from one to the next. So you don't think they'll be able to get anybody that is, you know, that will step up and do a good job? They're just going to say, you, you're well, now running the show. Well, the transition from, you know, everyone thought Frank Darabont was amazing. They thought he's the perfect guy to do this. And yep. he, he came out a million times and said how much he loved it and so on and so on. So it, he felt like the right guy to do it. When he left or was fired, you know, the internet went crazy. Everyone thought, oh my God, how are they ever going to recover from this? Glenn Mazzara came in and turned out to do a fantastic job. Right. They, the transition from one to the other there was fairly smooth, I thought, in retrospect. Um, maybe they can pull it off a second time, but I just feel like every time they try to do this is the chances of things going off the rails right. get are increased. That's true. You know, I mean, you don't write a chapter of a book and then have another author come and write chapter two and a third author come and write chapter three. It's not going to have the same consistent vision. Nope. You know, it may work <laughs> if a, if a director died in the middle of making a movie, maybe someone else could come in and finish it, but yep. You know, this isn't a movie. This is a TV show long running. So right. I don't know. I think he may have a point here as much as it pains me to admit it because I would like to see someone else come in and do just as good a job as Mazzara or maybe better. I would like that as well. You never know. So January 9th now, day of the week. Wednesday. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter uh, does an article on the real reason Mazzara left. Oh, so they write in the article, several insiders confirm that Kirkman is, quote, very proprietary, as one puts it. One adds, I believe Robert wants to maintain a certain amount of his control, and AMC needs Robert for the fan base. But despite the vitriol, some sources involved with Walking Dead say Kirkman was one of several producers on the show who had issues with Mazzara and his vision. Right. So what that's saying is... Mazzara, Glenn Mazzara had a strong vision for where he wanted the show to go, and Kirkman didn't really like it. Then he's gone. And he's gone. Yep. So with Darabont, it was more of an issue of money from what we know. You know, he, they, were, they wanted to freeze or reduce the budget, and he's like, but why? We're doing great things here. Yep. And, uh, and Mazzara had a disagreement with the creator. Man, what is AMC doing? I don't know. On the flip side of this, though, in the same article, they write, One source says Mazzara's shortcomings in running the series during the most recent third season became abundantly clear, especially for the second half of the season. Uh -oh. The source says production was shut down several times because of a lack of material. Wow. And so this is what Kirkman's upset about. <laughs> right. Uh, and if that is the case, maybe justifiably so. So this is pretty insane. You we think have, they did, had a lack of material because uh, Glenn Mazzara went, uh, you know, on a golfing weekend? <laughs> he just wasn't around to direct the ship? Yeah. Maybe he was sitting at home uh, painting, you know, little lead figures. <laughs> I thought you were going to say painting nudes of passersby. Well, <laughs> only if you're on a nude beach, and I'm not sure if 
that constitutes photography. <laughs> You're not allowed mm, to take pictures on a nude beach, as no. far as I know. Uh, are you not allowed to, or is it just a commonly I, accepted, you know, rule? Never been to a nude beach. I I have, but not not participated in the nakedness. I thought. Well, anyway, I've been I've been ethics, to France. <laughs> ethics and uh, you know common common what what's what's what I'm looking for here? Common courtesy. Common courtesy of a nude beach. I'm not familiar with. I don't know what the uh, right what the nude uh, the nude beach nude beach culture is like. Right. Okay. Well. Um, I, that aside, maybe there were nude lead figures. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. That aside, we seem to have both, both you know sides of this thing here. Kirkman was too protective of his material, or Mazzara wasn't cutting it, and Kirkman was like, "Cut him," you know. I don't know. So I, I think it, they, they might be. You know, you can come up with any excuse really to let somebody go. Right. Yeah, that's true. If uh, you know, it's why when you're looking for uh, looking for a job and you see a job posting, they list 37 things that uh, you need to be qualified for in order to apply for this job. They don't actually want all those things. They just want an excuse to say no. Right. <laughs> no, you don't meet all 37 requirements. This is you know legally, I don't have to hire you. Right. And so, that way they can they can hold out for the person they really want. Right. Okay. Even though they don't meet all the criteria either. No, but they just like that person. So maybe the show shut down because of uh, uh, lack of material, but doesn't that sound like a writer issue? Uh, It does a little bit, but as a showrunner, he's the head of the writers. Yes, but wouldn't Robert Kirkman, you know, since he's on the writing staff, doesn't the lack of material kind of point towards him? I, I would say so, to a certain degree. Right. You know? So, you know, Robert Kirkman could say, no, let's not uh, put in that script right now. And unless he comes down on us like a ton of bricks to get that damn thing done so that the actors have something to do, then he's wrong. Do you think... And I'm going to use my power as, you know, Robert Kirkman for him to, you know, not feel like he can come down on like a ton of bricks on us. Do you think Kirkman has, as one of the executive producers, do you think he has veto power on anything that they want to do? Well, that's what they were saying, right? There's a a quote there saying that he has, uh, he's very proprietary. Mm -hmm. He's holding a lot of control. And I think he has a lot of control, and I think that uh, he uh, he's maintaining it. So this means that anyone running that show is going to be handcuffed to a certain degree by what Kirkman says. And now it could be to be fair, the potentials he, there. To be fair, he is the creator. He's been thinking about this Walking Dead thing for you know twelve years, ten, twelve years, right. and he knows it better than anyone. But as Kurt Sutter said, he's not a TV guy. He's a visual artist. He's a comic book guy. Right. And a writer, a comic book writer. Now, you know, those skills in some ways translate over to making a TV show. I don't doubt that. I think they do. And I think it, uh, it, it's also taking something that, uh, you know, that somebody's very good at and saying that they're only good at that one thing. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. A lot of people that are really good at something are good at a lot of things. Sure. So there's just saying that he's a comic book guy doesn't mean that he can't write a story and be uh, the head of a script writing team for a television show. Right. And, and you know, in, I, in some ways, I actually don't even hold it against him that he would keep The Walking Dead under fairly tight control, at least, um, at least when it comes to, you know, the comic and the TV show. Clearly, he's licensed it out to a million other things. Right. Some things are better than others. Yes. Um, but... It's his, and it's his to do with as he pleases, right? Um, but it does concern me a little bit that, you know, he wouldn't defer to 
people who know more than he does. I've always one of the sayings I've always lived by is that the wise man defers to he who knows more or something like that, right? right? Like if someone's smarter than you, listen to them. Right. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. And if they're right, acknowledge it. I guess so, yeah. A lot of people have a hard time with that one simple statement. Absolutely. And that sort of sounds like maybe what's happening here a little bit. Yeah, it all sounds like a lot of, uh, there's a lot going on uh, inside baseball here. There's a lot going on under the hood. There's a lot of little nitpicking and infighting and probably a little bit of manipulation. And uh, basically it it comes down to uh, Glenn Mazzara is out you know, whether he was happy or not, I'm not sure. I don't think he was necessarily, especially if there's a lot of political bullshit going on. Uh, everybody was probably just like, let's part ways. Yeah. Everybody will be happier. You know, I don't blame if, – if Mazzara was feeling restricted or handcuffed in what he was sort of allowed to do as the showrunner, he's supposed to be the guy in charge, I don't blame him for not wanting to work under those conditions. Right. It's just too bad, I, I, I feel, that – you know, that both sides of this might be true. Kirkman might be a little bit too controlling. Yep. And as a result of that, you aren't going to find someone who, you, you aren't going to be able to find someone else who has an equally strong vision for it that would probably do really good things because they're going to butt heads too much. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of inside baseball, Chris Hardwick, host of AMC's Talking Dead, uh, came out, and he would be in a position to... He came out. ...to know. <laughs> no, not in that way. Oh. <laughs> uh, his favorite celebrity crush is Ryan Gosling, too. Uh, no, well, he, who wouldn't be, have a crush on Ryan Gosling for crying out loud? Seen that dude? Yeah. Although I prefer um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt myself. Oh, do you? Yeah, I like that guy. Yeah, okay. Uh, anyways, Chris Hardwick came out with a, a statement, and he said, I know a lot of people are mad and disappointed, but you've got to hang in there and keep the faith. Regarding Kirkman, he said, I think people need to credit him. He's the creator of the show. He's managed to keep the comic book series fresh for 10 years. If he's still on the show, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Now, I don't know. He Chris might... Hardwick is heavily involved with The Walking yeah, Dead. Yeah, I just I can see him saying this stuff with pom-poms in his hand. <laughs> doing On a trampoline? <laughs> he's doing something. He's just like, rah, 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 everything's going to be okay. Don't worry. It's a great show. We got great people. It's all going to be good. This show pays my bills, yeah. pays my salary. So uh, everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, so there you go. But he would be in a, maybe in a position to sort of have an inkling of what actually went down. And if he says it's going to be okay. Yeah, but he's towing the company line, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. But he probably, he probably also said it really fast. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of yelled it. Yeah. It's, so. Yeah, his, his opinion, give it its weight, what it's worth. Breaking news. Breaking news. Like this happened like a... It happened on my way home from work today. That's pretty breaking. Friend of the show, Dave, mm-hmm. sent me a link to uh, an article originally from Deadline.com. They have reported something in relation to this ongoing drama. I'm excited. This is not in your notes because it came in early. Well, late. Uh, late. <laughs> <laughs> it came in a year and a half ago. No, it, it came in... Psychic. It came Dion in late. Dionne Warwick. Remember her? Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Um, Deadline is reporting. Scott Gimple, promoted to showrunner of The Walking Dead, replaces Glenn Mazzara. Promoted? That's just what... What's his name said? Well, here's what I'm going to get to. From the article on Deadline... 
The series' supervising producer Scott M. Gimple is finalizing a deal to become executive producer and new showrunner of the hit zombie drama series. Gimple is expected to convene his writing team to begin work on season four in the next two weeks. So Scott Gimple has been involved with the show for a long time. Company man. As a writer, a company man. So exactly what Sutter said seems to be happening. Has he done anything other than write? Um, he's done a lot of producing and he's done writing. So he was the writer on at least, uh, one, two, three, four, five episodes of The Walking Dead, This Sorrowful Life, Hounded, 18 Miles Out, Pretty Much Dead Already and Saved the Last One. Right. Uh, he was an executive producer or a producer on everything. Now he's an executive producer. Right. Um, so he's been around for a while. And uh, now he is being promoted from within to the new showrunner. Exactly what Kurt Sutter said would happen. You run show. That's right. Go. Um, so, for me, this is a little bit of a surprising development. Yeah, I didn't really think it would pan out this way. You know, maybe they'd bring in somebody from the outside. But uh, when you think about it, they're going to promote somebody who they know and who they know is going to work under Robert Kirkman, mm-hmm. not with him. And who they can control. And who they can control. So Gimple, in addition to The Walking Dead, is also the screenwriter for Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. That's the second Ghost Rider movie. I didn't even see that one. No, neither Based did I. Based on the first one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a little concerning. Now, he was also a uh, writer on Flash Forward. <laughs> what, what was it? Um, oh, t- <laughs> damn it. What's his name? The... the the star of that movie. Um, uh, I'll tell you. I got it right here. The star Nicolas Cage. was Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage. I just remember when he was on Saturday Night Live and this movie was just coming out, they said, uh, typical Nicolas Cage movie, everything is either whispered or yelled and everything's on fire. And everything's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, just funny. That is the case for the Ghost Rider movies. Yeah. So he, so Scott M. Gimple wrote that. He, he was a writer on Flash Forward. Which was, in my opinion, a show that was a little bit better than it was given credit for. I just, uh, we just watched the whole uh, run of that show. Did you? Like, uh, maybe a month ago. We just decided to go through it and watch the whole thing. Well, were you like me? It kind of started okay, dragged through the middle, but then the final episode before it was canceled, I thought was really well done. Uh, I thought it started okay, dragged after the, you know, the first half of the first or second episode, and uh, it got mediocre by the end. I, the, the, well, I and don't that wanna... was a step up from the beginning. Sure. I don't want to go off too much of a tangent, but I thought that final episode of Flash Forward was intriguing enough that I was like, oh, I want to see more now. And then there was nothing. No, I didn't do it for me. Okay. I was like, oh, it's over. It was based on a book, and oh. it made me want to read the book. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, um, I felt the same way about Dollhouse. I never watched the second season of Dollhouse. Oh, my God, man. Dollhouse. I thought Dollhouse, again, was better than some people gave it credit for. Started strong. Got a little weak through the middle. And then, again, the last episode was fabulous, I thought. So, too bad they keep canceling shows that I think are great. <laughs> right. And now we're doing a podcast about one. It's not canceled yet, No, man. We got a whole new We just new got season. renewed for a fourth season. We're good. We do. With uh, Gimple. Scott M. Gimple, new showrunner. This is happening this evening. That's a hell of a name. Scott M. Gimple. Scott M. Gimple, I know. Um, and uh, he'll be beginning writing season four in the next two weeks, it says. So His middle name must be Milton. 
Scott, Scott Milton Gimple. Milton Gimple. Um, Just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It does, and that's probably where they got the name Milton for the for Milton on the show too. Uh, he does not have his middle name on IMDb, so I can't look that up. Maybe it's maybe it is M. <laughs> M. M. <laughs> Scott McGimple. Scott McGimple. That's from, that's his name from now on. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Well, that's the that's the timeline of events. It seems like things have sort of wrapped themselves up for a little while now that Scott is in place. We probably won't get much more news on this until some insider reveals something else that we didn't know before. But I think things might quiet down for a little while. Yeah. I'm really worried about uh, morale on the show. We've got some morale issues, I oh think. Oh, my God. You must be right. I mean, people coming and going like this, uh, you, you got to figure the crew and the actors are like, seriously, some stability people. Yeah. Just when we think we got a good thing going, you go and throw a wrench in the whole thing again. Well, now you look at shows like uh, How I Met Your Mother. All right. Let's just take that as an example. Boy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's better this year, but it went for a couple seasons there where I was damn near ready to quit watching it. But we have consistency, and that might have been the issue you were having, is it was the same old crap for uh, years and years and years. Um, it was the same lack of crap. Right. Which but there was, it, there's consistency there. You have to admit <laughs> that they had essentially the same director for the first three or four years, and she became the showrunner. Essentially, okay. Uh, so, like executive producer and showrunner of the of the show, everybody has been stable and consistent through the entire run of that show, and they love going to work. As far as I know, it's from my, what I've seen from uh, bonus material. Well, maybe, but um, uh, Jason Siegel was done right. he, uh, until recently, and I and in a last minute decision decided to come back for. The renewal of one or two more seasons. Right. Well, that's because he's, you know, he's doing other things. He's got exciting things on the horizon. Well, he has a movie career, unlike the rest of them. Right. Well, maybe Barney. Uh, uh, I don't know. He's not more much. of a. He, he's more of an awards show presenter. He, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, I think he's a very young William Shatner, essentially. Oh, yeah. Everything he's... he touches turns to gold, but he's a bit of a kook. And that's, that's how he's got to make his career. He's got to be a kook for the rest of his life. I can see that. I don't think he's going to roll into a serious acting. And he can sing, much like uh, William Shatner can't. <laughs> I'm glad you added the can't. <laughs> um, Why did we bring that up? Uh, just consistency. This show oh, lacks right. consistency all over the place. We got almost a complete rollover of cast. Yep. Right? We got a whole new cast, essentially, from season one. Oh, my God. And uh, we've got, you know, a complete rollover of the executive staff. Yeah. Uh, the writing staff. They fired the whole writing staff. This is, uh, everybody's got to be really friggin' scared. In some ways, this is, it's unbelievable that they've managed to continue it on for this long, even though it's only been three seasons and, yeah. uh, well, two and a half so far. <laughs> I mean, uh, television studios have pulled the plug on, tele- on TV shows for less than this. Oh, far less. The only thing, well, maybe not the only thing, but one of the things keeping this going is the insane ratings. It's got to be. Right. I mean, they can clearly charge a lot for advertising during this show because more eyeballs are on this than any other show on TV. Right. Uh, So, uh, you know, it puts them in a strange position where things behind the scenes don't seem to be going that well in some ways, yet 
viewership is like massive and they would never cancel the highest rated show ever. All right. Now, yes, they would. And now I'm going to bring up Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Gilligan's Island was the number one show. I believe it was CBS. I was watching, uh, they had, uh, you know, they, how, how, how they had behind the music and they would mm-hmm. talk about an album and stuff. They had also behind the television show where they talked to the actors and they talked about all this stuff. Gilligan's Island uh, finished the season in the number one time slot. Right, they did something like thirty episodes a season. Oh yeah, Twilight Zone did that too. The next season, they were getting <clears throat> geared up to start another round of shooting, and they canceled the show because the uh, wife of the head of the studio liked Gunsmoke better than Gilligan's Island, so she wanted that in the time slot, and they couldn't juggle around it, so they just canned the show. Okay, but that was in what the sixties? When was Gilligan's Island on? 50s? <laughs> it was color, so it was probably 70s. 60s or well, whatever. It up, well, Twilight Zone ran from 58 or 57 to 62, I think. And it was black and white. So Gilligan's Island... 64 to 67. There you go. So early... I think the early episodes were black and white, weren't they? Gilligan's yes, Island? Yes, uh, the first season was black and white. Right. So there you go. 60s. That was back then... Things were different then. I don't think the, the but they the, they would cancel a very highly rated like look at the uh, that show with the uh, with the stuff oh, Arrested yeah. Development. Oh yeah, critically acclaimed, critically acclaimed, but rating rated uh, ratings were very poor. Like critically acclaimed, but nobody watched it. Same thing with Firefly. Critically acclaimed, nobody watched it. Right, and that's why it didn't last. This. Now it's critically acclaimed, and everybody's watching it. There's no way this show would get canceled unless something absolutely insane happened, which appears may be happening. <laughs> yeah. So I don't want to get a lot get... of unrest, and it uh, it's very unsettling. It's truly unsettling. I don't know, but we'll have to wait and see how it goes. Um, the rest of season three will be under the direction of um, uh, Glenn Mazzara. They've already shot it, of course. So those yeah. episodes are, if not done mostly done they're, yeah they're doing post-production they're doing post-production they're probably still editing the later ones but you know hopefully there was not a lack of material because that's kind of what happened in the beginning of uh season two where it was so slow because nothing was happening and it was a lack of material in some ways yeah i mean they and mazara had, had dialogue that. i know that but mazara came in and fixed that right N- now it seems to be happening to him too i don't know maybe right. it's all just positioning by people it, I just I get the feeling that they uh, you know that somebody was like withholding something from Glenn Mazzara saying I'm not going to give this to you and then blame him for not having it yeah right it's like okay lack of material I'm not going to give you any material and since you don't have any it's your fault it just it strikes me as a little bit manipulative. I'm a little worried. This is wild speculation, but well, it is. What else can we do? Really? Well, lack of material seems like something that Robert Kirkman would have control over. Absolutely, and, this is his material, right? And he's blaming Glenn Mazzara for the lack of material. It just I, I don't know. It makes me uh, unsettled. All right. Well, let's go on to our next news item. And this, speaking of material, the episode titles for the rest of season three have been released. Awesome. Minor. Spoilery, I suppose. If you don't want to hear the titles of the episodes, um, skip ahead to the next bit. But here they are. All right. Hit me. Number nine. Yep. As we already know, is called The Suicide King. Right. Number 10 is called Home. Oh, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Number 11, I Ain't a Judas. That's true. Um, Number 12 is called Clear. Yep. Number 13 is called Arrow on the Doorpost. Interesting. 
Number 14 is called Prey. Now, apparently the working title for this one was Killer Within Part 2. It's Prey, P-R-E-Y. Uh, Prey is in I Would Like to Pray for Your... That's, I guess that's what I wrote down there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking we got uh, number 9, 10, 11, and 12, and 13. It's uh, it's bad, good, bad, good, bad, and I'm thinking Prey. How can... How can that be good? Because we have Suicide King is bad. Home, that sounds like a nice thing. I Ain't Judas, that sounds like a bad thing. Clear, that sounds like a nice thing. Arrow on the Doorstep, that sounds like a bad thing. Pray, if it's P-R-A-Y, then it's a good thing. If it's a P-R-E-Y, it could be bad. That's that's true. Let's, let me verify that. Let's see. Uh, I wonder if Wikipedia has the episodes listed there yet. I'm going to pull that up. I'm going to keep talking while I look for it. Um, those are characters. Oh, dang. Anyways. Dang gummit. I'm not sure. I am not sure if it's P-R... I wrote down P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. Right. Um, but uh, see if you can find that. See if you can find out... Uh, oh, list of Walking Dead episodes. Here we go. P-R... Oh, they've got a different title on Wikipedia. What are they... <laughs> Interesting. Uh-oh. Number 14. They st- Oh, they still have Killer Within Part 2. Oh, I see. Now, uh, they've got a different title for number 13. Which is? <laughs> pale Horse. Oh. Now, I had heard... Death. Is that what that means? Death Rides a Pale Horse. Oh, jeez. Do you never read uh, On a Pale Horse by Piers... Uh, horse. On a Pale Horse by Piers Anthony? No. Oh, it's a story about uh, death comes for this guy, and this guy manages to shoot manages to shoot death in the face with a shotgun, and so he has to take his job. So this guy becomes so, death. It's only fair. You yeah. kill a guy, you, you, you do his job. You kill death. Dude, you're death now. All right. Well, you know what? I The ones I've got in the notes here are confirmed by um, uh, Glenn Mazzara. Okay. He was tweeted by somebody, are these the episode titles that I found? And he said yes. So I think number 12 is he, called- he, There's no reason for him to fuck with it, somebody, right? Not anymore. <laughs> no. Number 13, he said, is arrow on the doorpost, despite what Wikipedia currently has- um, uh, as pale horse. Anyways, number fourteen, they've still got killer within part two, but he said prey. And again, I don't know if it's pure e y, pure a y. Number fifteen, might as well get onto that. Is called this sorrowful life. Nice. Now that is taken from one of the um, trade paperbacks. Oh. One of those was called this sorrowful life, and number sixteen. Welcome to the tombs. See that that start that see that one's a bit odd. Doesn't fit with the pattern there. It starts off really nice, but then kind of goes bad. Yes. Welcome to the tombs. Oh, that's not good. Uh, no, that doesn't really <laughs> seem that good at all. That's <laughs> well, a prison thing, right? I guess so. Yeah, the tombs. Uh, you know, referred to as like something prisony or jaily. Yep, I think one of the New York pri- or jails are referred to as the to- the tombs. Uh, Ellis Island, that's prison in New York, right? Jail. Or what's the difference? Well, jail is attached to a... It's, you're arrested but not incarcerated. Uh, in, uh, you're arrested but you haven't been sentenced. So you stay in jail or... Uh, how do I know the difference? A jail is temporary, prison's permanent. How's that? Really? Yeah. Well, Ellis Island is, is like an island jail or prison. <laughs> yeah, a prison is yeah permanent. You get sentenced to 30 to life, you go to prison... Uh, you get sentenced, you know, for you know ten days in jail. You just go to jail. It's not really prison, according to the internet. Jail: people awaiting trial, people sentenced for a short duration, typically less than a year. Not normally used in the UK. Prison: people convicted of crimes, sentenced for a longer term. There you go. Jail: you go. temporary, prison, permanent. 
Okay. So, well, you know, permanent is well, nothing's permanent, really. Especially <laughs> no. showrunners on The Walking Dead. Right. Zing. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Those are the titles. Um, we've kind of talked about them already. Any other ones mean anything to you? Nope. Judas uh, is one of Jesus's disciples who betrayed him. Give him a kiss. He did. Well, yeah, that's how I, he identified him to the uh, authorities. Oh, he's the one who betrayed me. Yeah. Okay. So there's probably a betrayal or somebody complaining that they're not a betrayer in number 11. Hey, I know who it is. I bet you it's... Um, Bob. No. It's not Bob. <laughs> um, it's... Uh, what, do, what do we think about Merle? Um, he comes back to the group and he's like, I didn't betray you. I was just doing what I had to do. I ain't a Judas. <sighs> Works for me. That could be, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then clear doesn't really mean anything. Home... I don't know, I guess they get back to the prison. Everyone feels safe again. Yay, I'm here now. I don't know. Arrow on the doorpost could mean anything. And uh, yeah, there you go. Titles. <laughs> Titles. <laughs> okay, AMC has released a poster for season uh, 3B, as they're calling it. Did you get a chance to take a look at this poster? I did. What do you think of it? I think it's interesting. I really like it. Yeah. I really like it. You know what? There's two things I like about it. One, fantastic juxtaposition between the governor standing in the background with his eye patch on and looking all evil, and Rick standing in the foreground with his good eye, but you can only see one of them. Yeah. And so the two good eyes on the two men are beside each other. Yep. And I just think it's a really great, you know... Got the same shirt on. ...juxtaposition of, of eyeballs. Yeah. Same shirt. <laughs> It looks like the same shirt. Collared shirt, kind of gray. Kind of grayish, yeah, I suppose. Um, they've got similar beards. Facial hair, yep. Uh, but I, I like it. And you know what else I like about it? What else do you like about it? It's a departure from the uh, sort of style of poster they've used so far. Uh, yeah. This poster on the wall here behind me. I see it. Which is uh, from season one, mm-hmm. is Rick on the horse, big wide shot as he approaches Atlanta. Everyone's seen that one. Yep. And then we got, for season two, a poster with Rick, like a wide shot, running down a road towards the farm. Yep. And I think we got a poster for the second half of season two, which was, uh, or no, sorry, season three, which was Rick standing on the bus. Again, a wide shot of the prison with him on the bus, not running anywhere this time. But this one is not a wide shot of any kind. It's just two characters. The, The tagline is, an eye for an eye. Or, this time it's personal. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I Could guess Could very so. well be the tagline. <laughs> Except that it says an eye for an eye. I know, but uh, just I'm thinking that, you know, all the wide shots, it's very impersonal. It's Rick trying to right. protect Rick going somewhere, Rick coming somewhere. Just something. This time it's two people, mm-hmm. and it's going to be uh, a head-to-head thing yep. uh, about these two, uh, these two leaders of different camps. It's no longer about finding a place to live and survive. Yep. It's about protecting yourself or conflicting with other other uh, individuals. Mm-hmm. Good observation. I like it. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I like. I think it's a great poster. I think it sort of communicates the feeling that we're going to get in the second half of season three. And uh, I just like it because it's a little bit different than the other ones. Mm-hmm. So very cool. If you want to check out the poster, um, I'll post a link to it in our show notes or just do a search for Walking Dead season three poster. Cool. 
Um, finally, in the news today, The Walking Dead Survival Instinct release date has been announced. Now, this is the Activision game that's coming out. The uh, the Smothers Brothers? This is the Smothers Brothers game starring <laughs> Daryl and Merle Dixon. Right. And the date here is March 26th in North America and March 29th in Europe. So reasonably soon. You know, that, that's good. That's kind of like uh, your birthday's on January 26th, my birthday's on February 26th, and this comes out on March 26th. Well, that's, it's like the it's like the game's birthday is falling in line with our birthdays. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? <laughs> uh, pre orders pre orders are available now. Available for Xbox, PS3, and Wii U. Nice. I believe that was confirmed uh, when they announced the date. Now they put out a launch date trailer to announce this. I don't know if you've seen it. I have. Wow, is it lame? <laughs> wow, is now, it lame? Okay, when I say I've seen it, I I've seen it. I've not heard it. I didn't turn on the audio. Oh, okay, so you <laughs> saw you saw all 19 seconds of yeah. Norman Reedus and Michael Rooker saying how great a game it will be with Merle and Daryl. Just ask the scientician. <laughs> That's right. Just want a quote from The Simpsons. No actual gameplay. Yeah. Just the two of them sitting there going, "What could be better, getting the Dixon brothers in a video game? Um, check it out." And <laughs> is there a video game? Are you sure? Well. <laughs> There was some footage released before. and well, That was just speculation footage, though, right? No, it was actual footage, but then some fan took it and cut it together into like his own fan trailer. Right. And uh, at first, people thought it was an actual trailer for the game, and they just crapped all over it because they thought it looked terrible. Oh, poor guy. So Poor everyone involved, really. Well, no, no, no. Like they weren't saying the fans' work was bad. They thought this was released by Activision, and they said this looks terrible. Like, well, I what's know. Activision and the, doing? And the fan had put it together. He probably feels like a piece of shit for getting dumped on for putting together something that he thought was fantastic. Probably. Well, no, I think I don't know this for sure, but I think his his motivation was sort of putting, trying to either create something cool out of the crap footage or trying to showcase how bad it looked. Okay. Well, if he's trying to showcase how bad bad it looked, then congratulations. It's a success. It's a success. Otherwise, he probably feels like crap. Okay. I feel bad for the guy. I'm sorry if he feels bad, but my point is the internet sort of universally panned this thing. Right. And then Activision comes out with a release date announcement with no new footage. So people are a little worried about this. They're thinking this game might be in trouble. Um because they're not showing us stuff. Sorry, when they say release date, did they put a year beside the release date? 2013. I, uh, I don't know. Is that, is that what you assume, or is it uh, <laughs> like it's coming on March 26th? No, I'm sure it's there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not going to watch this 19 seconds of crap right now to check it, but it's it's uh, it's 2013. All right. Uh, here, I'm, I will play that. It's not going to do anything. We'll just check the end there. Um, but the point is, why wouldn't they show us something from this game? Why I wouldn't they show us game, something? So I, I question everything. Yeah, I know. Don't put a year on there. I don't believe you that you mean this year. Yeah, well, maybe maybe they're going to w- wait a whole year. Available March 26th, no year. Sweet. So it could be 2014. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> My assumption was, before the announcement of the release date, was that it would probably come out in the fall of this year. Right. To coincide with season four starting. But they're crowning it out in March. So, I don't know. Yikes. I just hope it's not like being released early and it's not ready and it's really, really going to suck and so on. But is it just me or is are, are we worried about everything? Like we're we're worried about the show. We're worried about the, the you know, we worry about everything that's coming out and anything that's happening. You know, they had the uh, the obstacle course. We were worried about that. 
<laughs> you know? We are a little bit worse. All the video lately. games, it's just like, oh, I don't know. It could be good. It could be bad. You know? Have we become more cynical as we've been doing this? No, I'm worried that we worry all the time. <laughs> We're concerned. That's all. Yeah. We, we want this. We want this Walking Dead thing to to be good. Let's just stay on a on a positive note for the rest of this podcast. Uh, it might be difficult, <laughs> <laughs> but we will find out after this break. We are going to take a quick break right. to thank our sponsor for the show. When we come back, it's time to review the Walking Dead. The Road to Woodbury. So make sure you don't go anywhere to tune in to hear our thoughts on that. And uh, thanks for uh, checking us out. We'll be right back. you the listeners of the talking dead audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you have the opportunity to try out the service jason we're back to audible what book are you going to recommend this week i'm going to recommend a book in a series that i uh, haven't finished yet that's fine i've been reading the uh, uh the robert jordan series of well i've been listening to the robert jordan series of books a uh, the wheel of time series have you heard of this no uh, the Wheel of Time is uh, a series of books that Robert Jordan put out before he passed away, and oh. uh, he left detailed notes on where he wanted the story to go. So uh, other, you know, the, his family and and such have uh, continued on with this. So they've just released, like on the eighth of January, twenty thirteen, a Memory of Light Wheel of Time book fourteen. Holy moly! This, Fort, prolific, yeah, prolific and uh, uh, thick. This book comes in at forty one hours. A lot of hours and fifty-five minutes. That's forty-two hours of Audible goodness for uh, one credit, and each of the books are this long, and there's fourteen of them. Like these books are thick. That's fantastic. Yeah. Give us a, a quick summary of the plot. Do you have it there? Oh, I don't know. Magic dragons, uh, you know, various things, light and dark, good versus evil. Oh, good. This, this, the, uh, um, the universal conflict. Yeah, basically. Cool. To download your free audiobook. Go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead to get a free audiobook. Okay, we're back, and it is time to review The Walking Dead, The Road to Woodbury. Hooray! So this is the second book in the trilogy of novels written by Robert Kirkman and Jay Bonansinga. It's going to be a trilogy? I believe so. So we have one more to do next year. Sure. 
Um, now this book, uh, let's just briefly recap um, the first one. The first one was all about the governor um, in the early days of the outbreak, making his way, looking for somewhere safe to to live. And uh, he came across Woodbury and eventually took control of it through a series of events. Right. Very succinct. That is my very succinct description of the plot. Um, I think we could say both of us thought that book was okay, but neither of us really loved it. Right. Um, Had some issues, but in general, general was an okay read, and I think we sort of marginally recommended it. Maybe, Maybe slightly more than marginally, even. I agree. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I I have mixed feelings about the book, you know, so uh, sure. yes, I would marginally recommend it. Okay. Um, so this, The Road to Woodbury, is the second in the series, as I said, and this book follows Lily Call, right, primarily, um, in a similar structure. It starts out after the zombie apocalypse has taken place. Mm-hmm. The first, maybe third or almost half of the book takes place before she gets to Woodbury. Right, correct. And the second half takes place when she is there. Right. Um, One of the criticisms we had or wishes we had for the first book was that it seemed like it ended kind of abruptly Mm -hmm. and we didn't get anything about what was happening in Woodbury after the governor got there. I think you said that we could have used one more chapter just to sort of roll us into him in the or even the first few days of him like taking control of the place, right? Because it didn't actually get there. It was not the rise of the governor. It was how the governor got to Woodbury. <laughs> it was the road to Woodbury, exactly. <laughs> um, and it wasn't really the rise, as it was titled. Now, this book kind of does give us that in a more roundabout way, because <clears throat> our our group of main characters, including Lily, gets there halfway through the book, and the second half is. In Woodbury, yep. in the very early days, I think after the governor takes power. Yes. And I and I, I assume this because in this novel, he takes on the name, the governor. Right, because he didn't want to, you know, it's like, you're like the president or something. No, I'm not really a president. I'd be the governor at best. At best. So that, you know, I can only assume that happened shortly after he did, you know, take over control. We're, we're going to spoil this book, right? Well, I don't want to sp- entirely spoil it. Well, I just spoiled something. That's why I'm asking. What did, what did you spoil? Well, how, that he, how he got his name. No, that's fine. That's not really a spoiler. Everyone knows he's the governor, and it comes out in a conversation in the book. It's, it's, it's not a big deal. All right. Um, but yeah, let's try not to spoil it. Okay. Uh, there were things about the first book that I really didn't want to spoil, and there are things about this one, too, that I, that I don't. But all I'm saying is that he takes on that name you know, in this book, which indicates to me that it is very soon after he sort of arrives and events occur and he takes power. Right. So this is, it's not really him taking power, it's but him consolidating his power, right? Because yes. he's in charge at the beginning. Whenever, when they, we first meet him in this novel, he's in charge. Mm-hmm. But by the end of this uh, novel, he's really in charge. Right. Consolidation of power. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's really good. So our core group of characters is Lily. She's traveling with Bob, Josh, and and... Megan. Megan. And yeah. the stoner guy. I and his name. the stoner guy, Scott. Scott. Megan and Scott are slightly slightly more in the background. Right. They don't have as big a part. Um, it's really about Bob, Josh, and uh, Lily. Right. Um, quickly, Lily Call is a character we know from the comic. We met her in the comic book. Bob and Josh are new characters mm-hmm. that have never appeared in any other Walking Dead material. Uh, Bob is an older guy, former... Um, 
uh, military doctor. Yeah, medic. Medic. Wasn't a doctor. So he's the guy that, he's like a field medic? Yeah, like a field medic. Is that like a, uh, in, is that the army equivalent of a paramedic? Yes. Okay. That's exactly it. So his job is not treating or diagnosing. His job is maintaining life yes. until they can get back to the doctor. Triage and, yeah. Okay. Field, uh, field medic. Josh is a former football player and chef who is a big dude. Big dude. That is traveling uh, with Lily and Bob and Megan and Scott. Yep. And he also serves as a somewhat of a love interest for Lily. In he this does. Book, which is interesting because I feel like this book had more of a love story than any other Walking Dead material to this point. What do you think about that? I am mulling it over. And there, there are there, you know, there are couples in the comic. People get together in the comic, but I feel like it was focused on more in this book, and it was more of a central part of the story. A lot of like the comic book and the other uh, the other novel have had sex stories, people hooking up, <laughs> you know, yes. ha- having sex, doing their thing. And uh, this one, yes, it is more about uh, a couple coming together and having a relationship. In fact, in the first book, in The Rise of the Governor, uh, sex was a huge motivator for some big stuff that went down yep. in the middle of that book. But you're right. This one has less sex, more couple stuff. Now, there was sex. Sure. Of course. Right. <laughs> but it's <laughs> not— blood. Well, there was a fair bit of head squishing, too. Yeah. So so that's kind of the this book. That's the, that's the characters where it sits— Here's here's my feelings about it. Okay. I did not like it that much. You did not like it that much? No, I, I didn't like it as much as I liked the first book. Did which, he not use the right words? Like, were the, were the words in the wrong order? Uh, no, the words were in a fine order, <laughs> although there were too many of them. Like Too many words? Well, too many words. Too many notes. <laughs> uh, in, in the same, it, it kind of had the same issues for me as the first book in a lot of ways, but in, but, but they were magnified a little bit. Right. Um, overly descriptive and repetitive in its description of things. Yep. And I don't want to nitpick too much, but like how many, seriously, how many zombies can be described as wearing like tattered, ripped dungarees? All of them. All of them, uh, apparently. All of them can be described yes, that way. Apparently. And, you know, how many times will he write things like arterial, arterial blood ejaculated from the oh, neck? Okay, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to bring that up. And you knew I was going to bring that up because I, I had a problem with that very same statement in the first book. I know. And, 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 and the statement or the phrasing is used multiple times here. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to like nitpick that kind of thing too much, but it, I don't know. It, it kind of drove me crazy. What about after a the, what bit about the phrase? Uh, she was ripe for breeding. Did that jump out at you? Uh, it was about Megan, and when she first showed up at the uh, the governor. Well, but but if he only, if he wrote that once to describe her, then that's fine. If he wrote that, it multiple times, that phrase times. is okay with you, though. That's not uh, author intrusion, where a phrase is written so blatantly that you just go, "Whoa, what were you thinking?" Uh, and the author intrudes himself on the story. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it depends where that comes from. Like, I don't particularly remember it, but if that's how one character is viewing another character, I mean, that's a... It's, it's derogatory, it's, first of all. Well, fine, but the, the books, TVs, movies are filled with derogatory yes, no, things I, all I the time. I know that, but that kind of statement, like, who thinks that? Like, really, does that does it that ever cross somebody's mind 
man, she is she ever ripe for breeding? Oh, I, I could see some. He, he didn't say it, say it to anybody else. He wasn't uh, trying to be, you know, have bravado or talking slag. And he, and he wasn't a nineteen-year-old idiot. Yeah, like that's he, the kind he just, of person. This he was is just have. a thought that occurred to him when he sees a young woman. Uh, fair enough. It's 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 offensive, but I mean, it didn't jump out at me as a problem. Uh, the things that bothered me, I wrote, I wrote my own two lines of dialogue that aren't in the book. Okay. And one of them was arterial blood ejaculated from the neck as the axe penetrated the side of the zombie skull. Lovely. Like, that's the kind of thing that's written in this book throughout. Another one I wrote is he could detect the stench of putrid rotting flesh and shit covered clothes even before the walker came stumbling out of the door like a drunk leaving a bar. Nice. That's the kind of line that is throughout this novel. Yes. And... After a while, it grated on me a little bit. Okay, I uh, anyway, you what? Well, I got I have my my own opinions, and you wrote those. Uh, I wrote those out of my own brain. They're right. not in the book. You wrote them in the past tense. The book is written in the present tense. She sees this. She does this. Uh, the arterial blood is spur- spurring out. It's all written in the in the present tense. He snaps the lock open and he steps inside the cell when the man behind the door pounces. Right? It's present tense. Uh-huh. Drove me friggin' nuts. It, I hate the present tense. And it's a personal opinion, and I realize it's an artistic choice, but the present tense just drives me bananas, and he's not consistent. He uses the past tense in this book as well. From an from a narrator perspective, or when again when a character is relating something to another character, from a narrator perspective, right? Because this is an omnipotent narrator who knows everything. Yes, uh, but he switches tenses. He mixes tenses. Man. It's written in the present tense, but he mixes it every now and again, and it drove me bananas. I found my brain translating it into the past tense <laughs> as I read. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel. I don't want to be too hard on this book. No, okay, I, let me uh, let me step back a little bit. Yeah, I liked this book more than I liked the first one. Interesting. Okay. And I uh, the first one I listened to an audible. Yep. And this one I purposefully wanted to read the actual book. I tried to get an electronic copy. I tried to get it on my Kindle, but I couldn't find it. So I actually bought the hardcover book, and I liked that. I liked it a lot more. So I think it was the narrator of the first one that I didn't like. Well, I listened on Audible, same narrator. Um, I, I don't think he's, he's done a bad job. He's not my favorite narrator. Right. Uh, he does give each character a different voice, which I think is fine, even though it's I don't good. like all of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with the narrator. And, and, you know, I may have in the first book a little bit, so I may just have gotten used to his style, and and I'm a little bit I'm more okay with it now. Yeah, I, I much I, I enjoyed this book a lot more uh, with the fact that I, I just read it. I actually read the read the novel. Right. So, uh, and and overall, I did like the story. Okay. Right. Like the story made sense. The road to Woodbury actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, you know, it's very 1984. Okay. It was kind of a cheap 1984. You know, you 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 rebel against, uh, or you you know, you're raging against Big Brother, mm-hmm. and then by the end, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but if you've read 1984, it's basically the same story. 
All right. Right. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read 1984, but yeah. Awesome book. I loved the ending. Oh. Loved the ending. I like the book, too. So right at the end, I'm on the last, I'm reading the last page uh, on the subway on the way here. I just finished this novel today. Fresh in your mind. I man. really had to cram to get this thing in, by the way. I'm glad I, you did it, though. This is the way I always did homework. I always left until the last possible moment. And right. what I mean by the last possible moment is like 10 minutes before something was due. That's when I finished it. Well, today's Monday. You read the whole book on the weekend, pretty much, right? No, I read, uh, I spent all of last week reading it on the, uh, on the, on the commute. Uh-huh. And I got about halfway through. And then on the weekend, I had to read half the novel. So I sat down Sunday and... Uh, That's not too bad. That's like 150 pages or no, something. No, it's, an over, it's not a terribly long book. So I knew I could get through it. But uh, So overall, I like this book more. I like the characters. I like the story. I thought the governor was uh, more badass in this novel than in the first novel and in the TV show. Like he, uh, I, I think there was some lines in here that he had that I wish he has had in the uh, in the television show. I think he's he's definitely a lot more heartless in this book, yes, than in in either of the other ones. Now, in the first book, you know he's he's dealing with the zombie apocalypse still, right? He doesn't know what to make of it all. Right. Here, he's he's established Woodbury, a somewhat new civilization, and he kind of knows the horrors of what's out there, right? So he's embracing that, I guess. Yeah, he's he's obviously cracked. Yeah. Uh, but I think it didn't really get into it. It just kind of t- touched the surface and then said, yeah, he's a bit off. And But he was a lot more heartless, and I thought he... Uh, he was more of a mean governor in this this novel than in any other medium I've seen him in, except for the comics. The comics, he was just like way off the edge, right? Sure. <laughs> but uh, in in the uh, in the television show, he's kind of uh, this you know benevolent leader kind of thing with this kind of uh, dirty underbelly, which isn't really ex- explained, not literally. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just funny, dirty underbelly. It's our show title. <laughs> and uh, but in this, I, I like the character of the uh, uh, of the governor in this novel than any other medium other than the comic. Um, but it's just the author writing style, present tense. Uh, some of the uh, the phrasing, the descriptions, I agree with you. Just jumped off the page and went and, you know, like, whoa, tone it back just a little bit. Yeah, uh, you know, you don't have to describe every little nuance and you know you don't have to be he's trying too hard that's the problem it, it does feel like it a little bit just trying too hard padding the book with with extra you know zombie killing description or or whatever it may be you right. know and and i if these were novellas and they were 120 pages or 100 pages long yeah they might almost be more effective but True. then I, but then I don't know. Some people may be greatly affected by the extreme gory descriptions and things like that too. It's just sort of my opinion that there's a little bit much of that in here, and it right. distracts from it, in my opinion. I like the omnipotent narrator aspect to it. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that uh, there's actions that he described that no person ever saw. Yep. Right. And I liked that because mm-hmm. it it kind of set the tension, and I thought that was uh, was that the case in the first novel. Um, it was. Yeah, I think so. But I see one of the problems. Another problem I had with this is that it it to me it lacked a little bit of focus in terms of whose perspective we were getting here. Like it was mostly Lily, yep. but there were long stretches where she wasn't in the scenes. Like it was, yeah. we had stretches of scenes with Bob and uh, with Josh, and when they got to Woodbury, you know, with with other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, is this is this Lily's story? Is it Bob's story? Is it what? I mean, it's kind of all of their stories, I thought. Or they tried to make it about all of them. 
And I thought they all suffered a little bit for that. I thought Lily was actually the least interesting character in this book. Uh, pretty much, yeah. In my opinion. You know, her she has a character flaw that's introduced early. And it's, you know, it's reinforced throughout the novel. But I thought it was the most pedestrian, silly, boring character flaw you, you could have. Did it pay off? I don't remember it paying off, really. Um, like, I remember... It, it, it almost... Well, it kicks off the book, right? Something happens near the beginning yeah. that, that outlines this character flaw, and that haunts her throughout the novel, that's, at least most of it. Yeah, that's our investment in the character, right? So we invest our you know our, our, our effort in thinking about the character flaw, right? And then at the end, it's supposed to pay off for us. It's supposed to have a, a driving force on the plot. Well, I mean, it, she does, to a certain degree, overcome that flaw, right? Right. I think, anyways. It's just... It's just the flaw itself as a as a character flaw in her. I didn't really do it for me. I feel like she's just she could have been fleshed out a little bit more. They could have made her a little bit more interesting to be the main character of this book. I think Bob was actually a more interesting character in a, lot awesome. of, in a lot of ways. Bob was fantastic. Um, I, I just thought, and in fact, Josh I thought was a better character too. But Bob was my favorite in the book. He was he to me. He had a more interesting backstory. The whole army medic thing was yep. was cool, and how he would use those skills and so on in the in this storyline, um, and and just in the context of the book and the Walking Dead universe, I thought he was a much more interesting character. And I kind of wish it was about him more right. than than Lily. What's this book about? Like, is it's not man versus monster? Well, that, I mean, The Walking man. Dead has all of that, but it's not—it's not really because it's also man versus man, right? It's—it's uh, it's her the struggles between her and the and the governor. Well, I'll tell you what it's about. I mean, what I took away from it was we—we we all know one of the big themes in everything The Walking Dead does is you got to do what you have to do to survive, right? right? The, everything, the comics, the TV show, even these novels, you know, to a great deal are about that. What I took away from this one, even more so, I think, was that it was asking, it was posing the question whether or not you can even, that, that anyone can continue to be a good person in these circumstances. Right. And the, yeah, so there was, there was a conversation that specifically laid that out, right? It did specifically lay that out. And that's when it sort of clued into me. They were pretty blatant in their theme delivery there. Right. <laughs> but, you know. They might as well put it in, uh, you know, a, a block text around it saying, theme here. Theme here, exactly. <laughs> but but at least it was something different than just strictly do what you have to do to survive or yeah. protect the people you love. Um, you know, asking whether or not someone can, can, can even maintain being a good person when this horrible stuff is happening around you, right. I think is an interesting question. And we have... You know, we have some characters trying to do that and others just embracing the chaos and being as evil as they can. Right. I mean, we'll talk about it off air, but uh, I'm, I'm just thinking I don't want to spoil anything. No, I don't want to give about, it away. About that, about that question and about whether or not it was answered. Exactly. But it, it, it's, it's the theme of the book, in my opinion. I would agree with that. And I'm glad to see it's at least something a little bit new for The Walking Dead, right? right. I mean, there are lots of interesting questions you can ask in this sort of story. Is is a pickaxe good for splitting the head of a zombie? Exactly. That's a good question. Maybe the third book will be all about that. The the answer is no, by the way. Right. It just pickax- goes into it the goes head in and, and then it gets, gets stuck, stuck and then yeah, <laughs> it's pretty much a one-use weapon and you know, you know fire and forget that kind of thing, but uh, a katana, that's good stuff. Definitely good. That's a reuse. Yeah. All right, so in in summary, um I didn't like this book as much as the first one. I liked it more. Jason liked it more. 
Um, but as part of a trilogy, I do think it's worth reading, especially for these scenes sort of in the second half at Woodbury when we when we see the governor shortly after he's taken power and doing some uh, crazy, crazy shit. Right. Um, one more point I have about it is there were some plot, uh, not plot, there were uh, some set pieces in this book yep. that I thought would work really, really well, better maybe than uh, in a novel if they were done in a visual medium like a TV show or a movie. You think so? I think so. There's, there's, uh, this isn't giving anything away, but early on in the book, before they get to Woodbury, they're living in a different community of people yep. in a tent city. Yep. So everyone lives in little tents and in the middle, there's an old circus tent. Yeah. Like a big one. Yeah. And for, you know, through various... Uh, happenings that circus tent gets knocked down yeah. and it comes down on top of some people and reading it i listened to the whole thing twice actually yeah. and both times i was thinking to myself man this would be a cool set piece in a tv show or a movie it would where you know there's chaos and uh and they're they're trying to hide or fight back in this circus tent and then for whatever reason it falls down and people are lost and they're under it it would be tense it would be fantastic i think it could be filmed really cool i think so too that's a good uh, that's a very good point and 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 i felt that way about a couple of other set pieces later on in the book so i'm like man this book would make a great movie <laughs> <laughs> so you know or maybe incorporate it into the show in some way i don't know that'd be cool so I think so. Um, but anyways, as part of the trilogy, I say check it out, even though neither of these books have been my favorite books ever. Well, no. I mean, no. Yeah. Um, so I went on Facebook earlier tonight and asked uh, some people for some quick reaction to it. Sure. And David wrote, it's a great sequel, but it should have had more governor in it. That's true. Fair enough. Samantha wrote, I found it much harder to get into than Rise of the Governor. It also had more of a romance feel to it. Yes, there were zombies, but the focus seemed to be on the romance and not the zombies. The book was also lacking the governor, in my honest opinion. This should have been released first, and then Rise of the Governor as a sequel. True. How come I agree with everybody? I don't know. Well, now you're agreeing with everything. No, uh, I, I worry about stuff in the future. But oh, when yeah. People say stuff. I just agree <laughs> with it, because... It's true. I, I agree with that stuff. Jason on Facebook wrote, Solid effort. Fills in some gaps from the comics and provides a different set of eyes from the Woodbury point of view. I rank Rise of the Governor above it, but a nice addition to my collection. Huh. That's kind of how I feel, to be honest Is with it? you. I, I just don't think it's quite as solid an effort. Huh. Robin writes, Too short, and the romance has no place in apocalyptic horror. Fair enough. Darian on Facebook wrote, My favorite book so far. Ever. So there you are. Well, Walking Dead book or book in general? Did not specify. <laughs> Either way, um, I think there's a, a wide variety of opinions on this one. There is. And uh, that's the way it goes. All right, let's do uh, a little bit of quick feedback and then wrap this thing up. All righty. Listener feedback. Okay, we got a call from John in Kentucky, and he uh, had this to say. Gentlemen, great podcast. Uh, catching up with episode 100. Uh, John from Kentucky had a quick question. I've not read the comic books yet, and I plan to, but I'm kind of curious. How many comic issues are covered roughly uh, per season? Because I would like to try to figure out roughly how many seasons there might be until they catch up and what you think they might try to do after they do catch up. Uh, again, uh, great podcast, and look forward to listening to you whenever it shows on. Bye. 
Okay, so John's question is, at how many issues of the comic have we seen on TV? I did a little bit of thinking and went back to my collection of comics. Hey. And I would say they are around issue 40 of the comic book. You think so? Yes, yeah, out maybe. of 106 that have been released so far. 106 already? 106. Oh, I'm already got, six behind. I've got 106 up there. Um, and uh, issue 40 is somewhere midway through volume seven of the trade paperbacks. Now, that being said, uh, the comic and the TV show are wildly different. Yes. Lots of things that have happened <clears throat> in the comic have not happened in the TV show and vice versa. There are different characters, there are different plot elements, things are going in two very different ways, in some ways, yet in other ways, staying close together. So it's very difficult to say exactly where in the comic the TV show is currently at. It's not a direct correlation, but there are correlations. There are correlations, absolutely. Um, So, you know, my best guess is around issue 40 of the comic but there could be lots of things that happened in, say, issue 32 that we're going to see in the TV show. It's just presented in a different way or in a different order and involving different characters. Yep. So you never really know. But to answer your question, uh, John, I'd say around issue number 40 or somewhere in the middle of uh, volume seven of the trade paperbacks. There you go. All right, Jen from Peterborough. Peterborough. Um, yeah, Peterborough, Ontario, a fine, fine town. I've always meant to go. I've always, always wanted to go to the Canoe Museum in Peterborough. You should do that. Every time we drive by Peterborough, I'm like, can we go to the Canoe Museum? <laughs> and we never go. Well, I don't know why. Me neither. Um, Peterborough holds a special place in my heart. <clears throat> I grew, spent a lot of time there, especially younger, uh, when I was younger and growing up. I love Peterborough, Ontario. It's a fine town. It is a fine town. I like Peterborough myself. Jen sent in this crazy theory. That's where I'm going to file this. Sweet. She writes, I believe that the writers are setting up, or setting Andrea up to take over for the governor. Really? Des- despite discovering Penny and the floating zombie heads, awesome, by the way, she writes, she still doesn't know the full extent of his twistedness, torturing Maggie, for example. The governor was able to convince Andrea that keeping Penny in the zombie heads was not, in fact, twisted and morbid, but broken and fixable. She bought it because she thinks she loves him and she's been lulled into a false sense of security. She has let her guard down and, in doing so, has become susceptible to the governor's charms. I can't say for sure exactly how they're going to lead up to this, but I believe that the governor is going to get killed off and Andrea is going to take over and attempt to avenge his death. Wow. Well, I said crazy theory. (laughs) Um, That would be wild and crazy. That would be wild and And crazy. It certainly sets up some serious conflict between our characters. It does. Andrea, who is formerly part of the group, falls in love with... A crazy guy, he gets killed. She steps into crazy guy place and is now at odds with our former characters. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you, Jen, for that. That's a fantastic wild theory. That is great. Um, Didn't involve a canoe at all. No, it didn't. But if you go to that canoe canoe museum, you can report on it sometime later. I will. Chris? Yes? No, it doesn't matter. I'm going to Peterborough in February. Just for the museum? <laughs> oh, my uh, my wife is uh, running in a five-kilometer race oh. in Peterborough. So you'll need some time hanging around. You should go to the museum while no, she runs. No, she, I mean, she runs, and I'll go to support her, but it'll only take like half an hour, so uh-huh. I don't have time to go to the canoe museum. Besides, I would want to go with my wife. I don't want to like, see you later, have a fun run, and I'm going to the museum. Well, you're not running with her, though, so. No. 
Anyways, Chris from the UK writes in, and he has a theory on zombies retaining memories. Now, I edited this for length a little bit because he wrote in a long email, but um, I like this theory a lot. He writes, a little while ago, I downloaded an audiobook from our mutual friends, Audible. Ah, nice. Audibletrial.com slash Talking Dead. Awesome. It was called The Power of Habit and is by Charles Duhigg. It's a great listen, although its main point is that a depressingly large amount of what we do is the product of habit rather than thought. Anyway, its relevance to The Walking Dead comes really early in the book. The author talks about an experiment with rats, which demonstrated that once a habit is imprinted on the basal ganglia in the brain... The rats used less and less brain power to perform that habit until it becomes so automatic that as soon as the correct stimulus appears, the rat would follow the habit with very little brain activity. Could it be that this is habit rather than memory, habit not requiring what you or I might consider actual thought? And he's referring to the zombies there. Right. So... Um, uh, Morgan's wife walking up to the door, RV inspector, zombie, things like that. Purely habits requiring no advanced thought whatsoever. Further on in his email, he gave the, uh, he gave the example of everyone having that experience where you're driving somewhere and you suddenly realize you have no memory of the trip because you've driven that route a million times, maybe. Um, and that kind of explains the zombies, Seeming to have memories from their past, but not really. It's almost a low-level, you know, brainstem habit pattern that they're following. I would agree with that. I would call it muscle memory specifically rather than habit, but... Uh, it's kind of the same thing. It is kind of the same thing. In this case, it is the same thing. It's it's an ingrained a logic pathway uh, in your brain that's already there. You just, you know, when the, process, when the stimulus comes in to complete the process, your brain goes, oh, I know what to do, and yeah. away you go. Right, with no actual reasoning or analyzing, it's just like okay, I'm running these uh, these little programs. Yeah, I mean Nam Shubs, as they uh, say in Nam Shubs. With uh, that's from Snow Crash. That's right, from Snow Crash. Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean the only thing about this is it requires the proper stimulus, and whether or not the zombie can perceive that stimulus anymore, I I don't know. But maybe they don't even need to. Maybe it's just the habit or the memory, the muscle memory is so innate. And that uh, that's that it's baked into their their brains so deeply that it just it just happens. Yep. So I don't know. All right. Thank you, Chris, for that. That is a great theory. Uh, we've got some of this. Holy crap! Did you see that? Okay, real quick, we've got Carl from Birmingham, friend of the show, who sent this in before uh, episode number 100, so earlier on in December, but I didn't have a chance to play it then. It's slightly outdated, but screw it. Carl's a good man. I'm going to play it for him. Do it right now. Hi, guys. Uh, It's friend of the show, Carl, uh, in Birmingham here. Just wanted to call in a couple of holy crap, did you see that segments for episodes seven and eight? Just before I do that, I just want to say, fantastic set of shows you guys have done, and what a first half of the season. Finale was really amazing, I thought, and uh, and just the entire season so far has been terrific. So, uh, first Holy Crap, uh, episode seven for me. This is the, um, the moment where Michonne stabs the guy and chucks him out to the zombies uh, to be used as zombie bait. Now, the reason I've picked this is because I haven't actually seen anyone else anywhere reference this, but but it kind of really shocked me. The reason I say that is because up until this point, whenever they've really killed somebody, there's always been a reason for it, like uh, Rick shooting the guys in the bar, uh, Michonne killing the guys that were hunting her. 
whatever the, the reason, there's always been uh, some justification for sort of killing people in self-defense. To be fair, this guy was waving a gun, but they disarmed him and then killed him in cold blood. <laughs> okay, we didn't know anything about him. I just kind of got the impression he was just a walking plot point, and it, it was just a little bit. It was a little bit shocking because I generally think, in terms of the ethics of their world, um, that was cold-blooded murder by any sense. I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that because uh, I'm just amazed that everybody sort of brushed over it. Uh, this guy had done nothing wrong, really. They brushed into his house, and uh, he gets killed and thrown to the zombies. My second Holy Crap moment is from episode 8, and uh, it's got to be the introduction of Tyrese. Uh, Chris, you mentioned that you knew about this a couple of weeks ago from, I'm guessing, news on the internet or something, but uh, I don't recall you mentioning it on the show, and thank you, thank you, thank you for not doing that, because as far as I'm concerned, uh, that was a a fantastic surprise. Uh, I haven't been keeping up with uh, internet spoilers or anything like that, so for me, to see the the hat wearing hammer wielding Tyrese uh, sort of barge into action that was uh, a fantastic moment so uh, that's my holy crap moments and uh, I'll speak to you soon for episode 100 um, and keep up the good work guys awesome thank you Carl cool uh, for once someone is, is thanking me for withholding information which uh, <laughs> doesn't happen very often that must feel nice <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm sorry if anyone feels I spoil things too much, but uh, there you go. In this case, I managed not to. Um, in his, in Carl's other point, his first point about uh, the guy in the house that they uh, kill and run out to the zombies. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can see his point, but the purpose was, A, he was crazy. And so, um, you know, he was probably, he was attracting the zombies there and, and uh, he... You know, they had to kill him to protect themselves right. from his wild, crazy yelling and stuff like that. And then they used him to distract the group of zombies while they ran out the back door and escaped. Right. Um, yeah, it was probably still cold-blooded murder, as Carl said. Yes. <clears throat> but it wasn't completely without purpose, if you can justify that in any way. Purpose, yes. Justification, I'm not sure that they could justify it. Well, I mean, they saved themselves by doing it. Yeah. There may not have been another option, or there may have been. They didn't explore any other options. <laughs> no, there wasn't a lot of time, but there you go. Um, finally, uh, Maylen, or Maylene from Denmark writes, Did you notice Daryl's change in posture and facial expression when he and Merle have the angry crowd surrounding them and the governor stepping forward to say to Merle, You wanted your brother, you got him. The angle switches, and from where we see it, Daryl suddenly doesn't look all that tough, or nor big and muscular. Um, in fact, he looks a lot smaller than both the governor's brother, and we see him nervously moving behind his brother, almost cowering with a facial expression of a terrified kid that's about to burst into tears, just wow, awesomely filmed and awesomely acted. That was nice. I went back and checked it out. She's absolutely right. Yeah. He really, really looked like a scared little kid in that scene. And that's that's a testament to his acting, probably hit the direction, I think, too. And his character. You know, he's he's a big man on campus when he's all by himself. Yep. But when you get him with his overpowering brother and the wildly overpowering governor in front of him, he suddenly fades into the background and becomes nothing more than, uh, you know, a uh, sort of... Scared little kid. Scared little meek, <laughs> meek character. So yep. I didn't notice that before, but I think it's a really good, uh, really good observation by Maylene. Nice. So very, very That's cool. well done, yeah. 
All righty. That's going to wrap up our show this week. It's been another long one, but that's okay. We haven't done this in a month, and uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks with episode number 102. Now, do you think, Jason, we can talk about the final two chapters of the Telltale video game in two weeks? I am done the game. And you will be by then, right? That's the thinking. <laughs> All right. That's the idea for the next time. Hopefully, I love that phrase. That's the thinking. <laughs> that's the current thinking. Yes. Um, hopefully that is the case. I would like to talk about that and the way that game wrapped up. I have some thoughts there. So hopefully we can do that. That'll be in two weeks, whatever date that is. Um, in the meantime, though, if you want to send in some comments or you have any questions or whatever, give us a call in the Zomb line. That's one 483 zomb That's 9662. Toll-free call. You can find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Mm-hmm. You can also email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. So send all your questions, correspondence, and comments into uh, any of those places, and we'll check them all out and hopefully get some of them on the show. So in two weeks, we'll be back with 102. And uh, until then, my name is Chris. My name is still Jason. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Bye.